0: take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Genesis. Uh, We are working through the book of Genesis and on chapter, what chapter are we on? Chapter 6. And so uh, I don't feel bad for Pastor Santo as he's leaving Um, and in doing a hard passage on 1 John because he was so Nice to give me one of the hardest passages in Genesis uh, to understand and interpret. So uh, it's chock full of difficulties and questions, and yet it is still God's inspired word. Uh, It is good for building us up and encouraging us, and uh, so we humbly submit before the Lord and ask uh, that he would teach us what he wants for us to learn through this passage, okay? But I don't feel bad for... Santo, as he uh, gets a hard passage. But why don't we all stand for the reading of God's holy and timely word to us. Again, Genesis chapter 6. Let me get there real quick. And we are going to do just the first eight verses. Okay? The first eight verses. Hear the word of the Lord. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Be God. Mm-hmm. All right, so as we begin this morning, I'm sure that most of you have heard the story of Pinocchio. Raise the hands. Pinocchio, I know I'm kind of aging myself a little bit. Um, a Pinocchio at least the Disney version. I remember watching that as a kid. I actually learned that there was, it's based on an Italian version at the end of the 1800s. And much like, I think it's, uh, what is it, Aesop's Fables and uh, Mother Goose, uh, where when you actually go back and look at the stories, it's much more savage than before, you know, when you would seen a Disney version. And so, the Disney version, we'll just stick with that one for our illustration. (laughs) Because the real one, uh, Pinocchio ends up getting hanged, and um, for you know all of his things that he's doing, and it's, it's pretty crazy. I looked it up this week, but nevertheless, the story of Pinocchio, a sweet older, very poor man who receives a block of wood. His name is Geppetto. Okay, so we have Geppetto here who wishes on a shooting star, right? And actually, it's a fairy and the fairy basically uh, gives this boy a chance at life of being a real boy. But Pinocchio has a problem with what? Lying, lying right? And as he lies, what happens? His nose. his nose grows, okay? So as he lies, his nose grows, and actually he has more than a lying problem, he's got an all kinds of sin problem, right? So he is getting himself into all kinds of trouble, And obviously, it's a story to teach kids about not getting into trouble. But every temptation that came his way, he gets into. And all the meanwhile, he's hurting deeply the one who created him, right? He's hurting his father, Geppetto, who made him and loved him and created him. He's saying, basically, I know better and I want better than you have to offer. So the the created thing is looking at the creator and saying, I don't want what you want from me. I want to do life my way. Thankfully, the fairy tale of Pinocchio turns out happily ever after, as they say. He came to his senses. He realized his faults. He sought to reconcile with poor Geppetto. And in one sense, it was happily ever after. The fairy, the fairy says, you pass the test. And he grants, or she grants him real life as a real boy. But this morning, the reason why I have a picture of Pinocchio up here is that we are going to see that there's a Pinocchio in each one of us. Okay, I think through this text, we're going to see that there's a Pinocchio in each one of us as we look at God's story of redemption as it unfolds in the early chapters of Genesis. We're going to see this morning that left to ourselves, we are capable of unthinkable evil. And desires to live outside of our God-given boundaries, for which really we deserve God's just wrath. See, what, we, do, what we, we want is to live outside of God's boundaries. And yet, by God's grace, we can be saved and live life as God intended it. So there's, uh, like a lot of times in the Bible, there's judgment and there's hope. There's a warning and there is good news. So with this in mind, we're going to explore these eight verses under four headings or four key terms. Rebellion, verdict, judgment, and hope. Rebellion, verdict, judgment, and hope. The first one, rebellion. So we've seen since the fall that man has stood in defiance of God. See, the same kind of thing as Pinocchio, right? I don't want what you want from me. I'm living a different life constantly not trusting in God's word and promises and going their own way, right? Seeking their own pleasures, their own pursuits, whatever that, that, that fancies them, they want to go after that. And what has it gotten? Well, for humanity, we've seen already in these first few chapters, all it gets is death and destruction and despair. Again and again and again. Last week we saw in chapter 5 that this was made painfully clear. As Santo read chapter 5, it says, And so-and-so lived, and then what? He died. he died. So-and-so lived, and he died. And he died, and he died. And that painful refrain kept going. The world that God created and said was good was going downhill quick. And it was beginning to look ugly. Ugly. Here in chapter 6, we see more of the same thing, but worse. You know, we've said this over and over again, but the more that humans stray away from God, ironically, the less human they become.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? We see that over and over and over again in the early chapters of Genesis. The more they stray from God, the more we stray from God, the less human we actually become. The first verses of chapter 6 show us the increasing rebellion of the human race against God and their creator, and how bad that has actually come. So that's where we find ourselves here as we start looking at Genesis chapter 6. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, there are a lot of difficult questions here to answer uh, for those who study the Bible in these, these few verses. Questions like, who are the sons of God and the daughters of man? Another question, what did they do that was wrong? Since God was obviously displeased with them, as it shows in verse 3. Or another question, who are these people called the Nephilim? Or the giants, as it's sometimes translated. Were they good or were they bad? And look, I was studying this week and so much ink has been spilled on trying to understand some of these these, uh, questions. And trying to answer them. And sure, at the end of the week, I have my leanings, but no one can really be 100% sure on who these people are and what difference it makes in some ways. But there are some clear overarching points that we are going to explore as we dive into this section of the text. And the one thing that we see is that mankind was taking further steps away from God in his rebellion. He was taking further steps away from God and trying to live life the way that he wanted to live it and not the way that God intended. For example, whether these sons of God were were fallen angels who intermarry with the daughters of man, that's one interpretation, or whether the sons of God were those from the evil line of Cain intermarrying with the daughters of the godly line of Seth, which is another interpretation, in each of these scenarios, man is taking further steps of rebellion against God. And pushing out aside of those boundaries, right? God created safe boundaries, just like in the garden, for them to live. It was good for them to live inside of those boundaries. And yet, what man does in his sin is tries to push outside of those boundaries, as we see here. Derek Kidner puts it this way The point of this cryptic passage, whichever way we take it, is that a new stage has been reached in the pro- progress of evil with God's bounds overstepped in yet another realm. See, we see this cycle, this downward cycle of overstepping boundary after boundary after boundary. Even so more to where we find ourselves today, overstepping all kinds of God-given boundaries. See, man knew the boundaries that God had stepped, and yet what did man do? He willingly stepped right over that boundary. He said, I don't care what you have to say. I will step over that boundary if I want to. And maybe think of the, the defiant kid, right, who you say, don't touch the television, OK? And, they, and, and they're watching you. They're, st- they're inching more and more to that television, looking back at you, inching more to that television, looking back at you, looking more. And then they start putting the hand out, and it's close. And then they touch it. And they want to look back at you and see what you do, right? You told them, don't touch that television. I got a reason for you not touching that television. And yet, what do they do? They step out and touch it. Man knew the boundaries that God set, but stepped over them in defiance against God. And the results here are disastrous. Verse 3, look again. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So now instead of living that long life of seven, 800 years, 900 years that we saw in the previous chapters, what happens now? God puts a limitation on life, a limitation on the years that man will be, further effects of the fall. See, oftentimes we read stories like this, and we, we see these stories in the Bible, we see the bad guys, and we say, you know what? I would never do something that. Or given the chance in a similar situation, I don't think I would ever make that choice. But we have to ask ourselves, is that really true? Was that true of man in the beginning? Is it true of me now? If given the chance, would I not do the same thing in a similar situation? We need to see and we need to remember that that same seed of rebellion lives in each and every one of us. We inherited that from our father, Adam, and it can and it does poke its nasty and ugly head out all the time in various expressions, as we will see further on in our text. So rebellion, overstepping boundaries, defying God, that's what was going on here in these early verses. Well, what did God have to say about all of this? That brings us to our second word out of our four words, which is verdict. First, we saw rebellion, and now we move on to verdict. Many of you know that verdict is a decision, right? Oftentimes, we hear of that term in the context of a judge and a jury that have deliberated over a case and have reached a verdict, right? What is the verdict here that God has? These are some of the saddest words in all the Bible. Verses five and six. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Let that sink in for a moment. As the Lord looked out on the earth that he created, he saw that it wasn't good anymore. Remember the language of Genesis 1? As he, as he looked out on the world, what did he say? He said it was good. And then when he saw marriage, it was very good, right? And, and the creation of man and woman. Listen to this quote as I read it. God saw his creation and evaluated his handiwork as very good. But here the sons of God have taken the good and defiled it. They've taken the good and defiled it. How quickly these tables turn, right? We're only in Genesis 6. And yet, how quickly it has turned. And I know we've repeated this in every sermon since Genesis 2. But it's so crucial for us to understand how sin reverses the good that God did and created in creation. Sin messes everything up. Sin is the opposite of what God has intended, what God created. Sin messes up our relationship with God. Sin messes up our relationship with one another. Sin messes up our relationship with our spouse. Sin messes up our relationship with our work, as we've seen. It's messed up everything. If you want to be sad about something this morning, be sad about that. Because God is sad about that. We see that here. God is sad about that. But if you don't believe that God is grieved or saddened every time a person murders another person, or when a wife cheats on a husband, or when a God-given gender is reversed based on one's choosing, or when a dad walks on his family out on his family, we are wrong if we believe that God doesn't care. We are reminded here that it breaks his very heart heart. Look back at these verses. We are told that it grieved him to his heart or his heart was filled with pain, as another translation says. As he looks out on these things, he's not distant. He's not uh, uninterested. He's not saying you, you made your, blip, your bed and now su- sleep in it. No, what he's saying is he, his, his heart hurts over these things. He intimately cares like a father does For a wayward child. But notice also what God says in these verses. It says that God was sorry or regretted. What does that mean for God to be sorry? It's one of the hard questions of this text. What does that mean for God to be sorry? In hearing this, you might ask, well, if God is sovereign, if God is completely in control of all things, always carrying out his plan, then how could he be sorry or regret something that he did or something that happened on the earth? In my study, one commentator says it has more to do with the emotional anguish of God than it does his sovereign plans. Mm-hmm. It, listen to this quote. God's response of grief over the making of humanity, however, is not remorse in the sense of sorrow over a mistaken creation. Our verse shows that God's pain has its source in the perversion of human sin. And then listen to this. The making of man is no error. It is what man has made of himself. The making of man is no error. It is what man has made of himself. God created a perfect world for man to dwell in and enjoy, but man sought to be in a world without God. God created the world. What did man do? He returned the favor, tried to create a world without God, without God's rules, without God's boundaries. Like I said in the beginning, like the rebellious Pinocchio who thought he knew better than his father Geppetto. The created cast aside the creator. And what hurt that brought the creator? We've seen that here. What hurt that brought the heart of God? But before we move on here to our next point, I want to also speak for a moment on the extent of human wickedness throughout the earth shortly before the flood. Verse five here, as we read moments ago, is the sad verse of the depravity of man, the wickedness, the downright nastiness of our sinful human condition. These words, they almost sting as they come off the tongue. The wickedness of man was great. Every intention was only evil continually. I mean, I don't know if you could stress that more. Only ever continually evil. The problem of sin was not minor, it was great. The problem of sin was not just people's actions, but the intentions of their heart. Have you ever stopped to think about that? You know, you may kind of uh, be, be proud of yourself for growing in, in the way that your outward actions reflect godliness. But then you look at the inward parts of your heart like, man, I want this for all the wrong reason. Or, man, if someone understood what was going on the intentions of my mind and on my heart, what shame I would feel. The intentions of our heart, the deepest part of us, has been tainted by sin. The problem of sin was not here or there or spotty, but it was evil continually. This is how far man has fallen. Left to our own devices, things get really bad really quick. Left to ourselves, we are capable of unthinkable evil and a desire to live outside of all the God-given boundaries. Left to ourselves, we don't want God. We don't think we need God. Inside and out, we are wicked. And the point is that we cannot help ourselves. We need rescuing. We aren't to look at this and just be in despair. We are to look in this and say, help me, God. Rescue me, Jesus. This was the verdict then, and this is the verdict now. The question is, do we see it? Are we ready to take that life preserver that is thrown out to us as we are drowning in our sin. Well, in the time of Noah, as we will soon see, they were not ready. They were not ready. They were partying like there would always be a tomorrow, like like there would always be another day, another day perhaps to repent, another day to party and to live on, pushing it out to a, a further time where they could live up life now and repent later. And yet the verdict was given, and now was the time for sentencing. Which brings us to our third key word of the text, judgment. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. See, God in his righteousness decides that what he must do is not allow this to go on any longer. He says, man has gone down this path of sin too long, and I must carry out my righteous judgment. He would blot out or erase by washing every man, woman, child, animal from the face of the earth. Think about that. The world that he created that was good, it got so bad that he said, I've got to end it. It seemed like that would be the it of what God created. Was that it for mankind? Would there be no more chances? Would that make earth and man a failed experiment? Would that make God a failure? Or was there still a glimmer of hope? And then what about that promise in Genesis 3.15? Wasn't God going to bring a rescuer from the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent? What about all that? Would God leave his promises unfulfilled? Of course not. Of course not. But as we read these these early chapters, you get that sense of despair if you don't go back to the promise. If you don't go back to the promise of God's word in Genesis 3.15, which brings us to our final word of hope. Thankfully, as dark and as gloomy as this passage is, there is hope for you and for me. There is a bright side for God's creation, a light in the darkness. Look at verse 8 once again. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What a short verse, but how much is packed into that? Noah was first brought up in chapter 5 with Pastor Santo's sermon last week, where it says, in the generations of Adam, verse 29, Lamech called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So even in the meaning of Noah's name, there is a message of hope for God's creation. But in chapter 6, this section ends with a simple statement about Noah finding favor with God. And it's kind of surprising. It's almost kind of jarring after these first seven verses. It's not something that you would expect to find at the end of verse 7. You would expect, well, the Lord just wiped everything out and that's it. But that's not what happened. The reader maybe led to believe that the earth was so bad and mankind so wicked that God was going to destroy it all, end of story. But the author throws out a teaser, like at the end of a first movie of a trilogy, right? You get that teaser at the end of that first movie knowing that there's going to be a part two and a part three. That's what we have here in these verses here in Genesis. This word favor could be translated, as we said earlier, grace. Right, Favor means grace, God's unmerited or unearned favor. Mm -hmm. One commentator said the best way to understand this phrase is to read it backwards. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Grace found Noah. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a minute. Grace found Noah. Quote continues on. God's initiative of grace towards Noah is mentioned before. There is any reference to Noah's faith and righteousness, and that is important. We're going to learn a lot about Noah next week. And we're going to learn that he was an upright and righteous man. But that's not the reason why he received the grace of God. Noah was of, of the same stock as everybody else. He had the same fallen nature as you and I. He struggled with the same evil intentions of his heart. Yes, he was an upright and blameless man, and praise God for that. But what happened? Noah had God's grace find him. See, grace is the only hope that any of us have. Those who are enslaved to wickedness and sin can't help themselves any more than a drowning person can help themselves to safety. God's grace found Noah just like it's found many of you and me in this room. And the only way is that God's grace through Jesus is the only way that sinful man and woman could not be destroyed in God's wrath and judgment. Not on the basis of any goodness inside of us. Not on the basis of any uh, attendance of church or doing the right things or living the right way. Grace was Noah's hope. Grace was Noah's family's hope. Grace was humanity's hope even in the midst of judgment, like the flood. And grace is our hope. Our only hope of being rescued out of our hopeless situation has only ever been God's grace. I want to ask you this morning to think about a question as we close. And the question is this. it, It may be simple, and you may have heard it a lot, but has God's grace found you? Think about it. To be honest with yourself, has God's grace found you? Because the reality is that judgment is coming. Just like the people in the day of, of Noah. They didn't know when it was coming, and yet it came. They had their chance to repent, and yet many of them did not. Has God's grace found you? Remember, left to our own selves, we are capable of unthinkable evil. And we desire to live outside of God-given boundaries. And what you and I deserve for that is something that we don't think enough about. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be separated from him for all eternity. We can only barely begin to understand what that may mean. And yet, with God's grace, we can be saved and live the life that God intended us to live as we see in the Garden. There is a choice to be made. Yes, God enables you to make that choice, but there is a choice to be made. Will you reject God and live in your rebellion and receive that judgment? Or will you humble yourself? Will you repent of your sin? Will you put your trust in the Lord? And grace finds you. Those are the questions before us that only you can answer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, how your word just kind of uh, opens up our life, opens up our heart, and really shows us what's going on inside. And so many times, God, we see the ugliness that no one else sees because you allow your light to shine in. God, I pray that as you do that, Lord, that we would not just bury it but Lord, that we would repent and turn, that we would fling ourselves upon your grace and your mercy. God, that we would learn from stories like we have today before us that have been put here for us to learn from and to change. Father, I pray that your grace would continue to find each and every one of us. God, that your grace would transform us from the inside out, God, your grace that is offered to us each day that we awake, Lord, that you would use it to strengthen us and encourage us, those those of us that know you, to live more boldly for you. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we come to a time of confession and repentance, Lord, that you would search our hearts. You would show us what's going on inside, not just to lead us to despair, but to give us the hope of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.